the book of Genesis, the NASB version, chapter 16. It will be on the screen for you. You can follow along. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, Now, behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go to my maid. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. After Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarah took Hagar the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband Abram as his wife. He went in to Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised, her mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarah treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to shore. He said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from, and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you're with child, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild man, donkey of a man, and he will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live to the east of all his brothers. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees, for she said, have I even remained alive here after seeing him? Therefore the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. Behold, it is between Kadesh, Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of the son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Mama. Is my mic on? Okay, because uh, I'm loud, and if it goes out, that's okay. Um, <clears throat> I'm a music leader. Um, uh, professionally, I work as a PR person in the space industry. Um, but, you know, in preparation for this, and um, I think that the greatest identity all of us can have here in this room, for those of you who are followers of Christ, is that we are the children of the Most High. It's okay for you to throw an amen if you feel so led. Um, a lot of our faith is external. And thank you for wading through that passage. Right? Whenever we read stories like this, 
usually we're like, okay, and we're observing things from the outside. And when we talk about the word of God, right, we know that the Bible is so much more than pretty words. Right? Some of you know, out of Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Um, the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Out of Hebrews, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And I read that because when Allison kind of contacted all of us uh, and said, hey, you know, the series is going to be on the names of God, right? When we think about the word of God like that, we have to kind of go, what sort of author was behind all of this? A body of work influenced by God's very hand that can actually change your life. And for all of us who are in Christ, when we think about us being new creatures in Jesus, my hope is as we wade through every name of God, every name, we get to see the depth of who he is in like deeper color, depth that just we've, we've never waded into. So I will confess, I read this story a million times. I was like, yeah, cool. This is about God seeing me in my suffering, right? That's what it is. That's not wrong. But I don't think that's all of it. I think there's so much more. And my prayer is that as we wade through this together, we will feel and know our Lord better as we discover what he actually sees. Okay. Oh, you'll notice I usually wear glasses. I can like tell that's Cameron and like that's Kim, but all y'all are a blur. I think that's my daughter waving, but I'm not sure. All the rest of you in the like expensive seats, I see you, Mabel. <laughs> okay, so when I do this, yes, I'm gonna be reading these, all right. When I say God is supreme, Oh, no, I'm when I say God is supreme, I mean he's supra everything. And I feel like I need to say that because when we approach this, a lot of these, these like versions of this say like uh, Hagar was a slave. Right? And I know that that word means things in the American context. When I say the word slave, we are reminiscent of American chattel slavery. Right? I'm going to get to this in a second. The God who we believe even is so supra everything that I'm going to invite you to take everything you know about human relationship and set it aside for a moment and relearn this verse with this, this whole uh, body of, of um, scripture with me. Okay? God has recognizable dimensions of himself in every single word. My prayer is that we as renew, as we experience glory in every single name, right? The picture of God becomes more clear, right? And that your life and mine, that like in that we attain the kind of flowing lockstep intimacy with God, like with the spirit, 
that we could be the kind of new creatures he's called us to be. So I'm going to cover um, The God Who Sees, Elroy, which is the only time this is ever mentioned in the Bible. I did not know that myself when I first looked at it. I was like, oh, I totally know, Elroy. It, there's loads of stuff on Elroy, The God Who Sees. I oh, know, there's only one verse. That's amazing. <laughs> this is going to be great. And then I was going to call Allison back and be like, can I change my... No. Um, no. <laughs> Um, but for those of you taking notes, I'm going to try to give you a little line to follow, because I might jump all over the place. Heads up. Okay. One, God understands and values your context. Okay? And when I reflect on this passage, we're going to talk about, trigger warning, ancient Near East slavery and concubinage, which was a reality that this story is embedded in. And to understand Hagar, and to understand Sarai, and to understand Abraham, and the blessing that was upon them, we have to understand this thing called slavery from back then. Okay? God restores. We're going to talk about God's way-making ability. What exactly did he say to her that was like, what? Because we all pray. We ask for things. We want things. We have expectations from God. And I feel like when the Lord visits Hagar and he says these things to her, it might just reset how you pray. It may actually blow your expectations away and leave you more open. Okay? Then finally, we're going to look at, I kind of have 3.1, like 3 and then 1. Um, there is... God seeing suffering here, right? But we at Renew, like, we really believe in finding the place in our spiritual life where we're letting God change us, right? So heads up, I'm, I'm hoping that we could come into a place in our hearts where we really, like, dive into something that um, might cause us to be really introspective today. Okay, so heads up. Okay, now this story takes place approximately 1921 to 1896 BC. What does that mean? A long time ago. Okay, but if you think about it, let's just put it in terms of like modern day times. From 1996 to 2021. Okay, that, that time space makes sense to me, right? So it's approximately taking over this time. Just kind of like bring some reality to it because like the Bible is real. There are historic actual accounts of what happened, right? So I just felt like I needed to say that because when I went into this verse, I was like, oh man, the comparative intellectual history guy in me just wants to go and go and go. I got lost for like a week in just the history, right? We're not going to go into all of it. But I did promise we're going to look at some context. So let's read this really quickly. Um, verses 1 through 4. Now Sarai, Abraham, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid from who, whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my handmaid, my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Yeah, that's a great idea. Um, Abram had lived 10 years in Canaan. Abram's wife 
Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, the Egyptian, took, uh, Sarai took Hagar, the Egyptian, her handmaid, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived, and she, when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. Is it just me, or does this whole verse bother you? Like, be open. Like, think about it. Like, there's, pro there's a lot of problems with that whole thing, right? I mean, um, you kind of look at this thing, and you're kind of like, where do we start? <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of like, Abram, bro, <laughs> like, just roll me through. Oh, so you two aren't sister. She's your handmaid. How did you come up with this idea? I'm just curious. But all of that curiosity I'm going to take, and I'm going to put it in the box of context, because I need to understand this better. So we know that Sarah and Abram could have no children. In the Bible, we see that there are miracle old people babies all the time. So we're going to take that. We know that's going to happen, right? Oh, miracle old people babies. <laughs> um, write that down. Uh, <laughs> Hagar was a slave in many translations. The word slave, girl servant, servant, uh, handmaid, maiden. There's two Hebrew words that I'm burdening with. But one is higher than the other. One means I get my own tent. One means actually part of the family. Uh, there's a lot of, this is pre-Islamic, pre-Christian, there's a lot of non-Old Testament texts that talk about it's very normal for there to be um, uh, what we would call surrogate families that are actually, actually, actually your family. They actually carry your name. Okay. Now, before, before we dive into that, I do need to set something, because uh, at Renew, every now and then, you'll hear Pastor Allison and Pastor David go, oh yeah, fight the power, ah, destroy patriarchy, and I don't want to like divert from that, and let me just pause really quick, yeah. Um, I need to pause here, because right about here, what happens is most churches, they go meta into this like Old Testament slavery, and they totally disregard like black, like, African-American chattel slavery and the reality of what that was and how it actually affects society today and all the stuff. I spend a lot of time with my son listening to 90s rap, not the gangster stuff, the more activist stuff. He's like, wow, they're really angry. They are. And for all of us who are in this journey together, white, black, brown, the world of slavery was real and is still real for many people, okay? This is not going to be like a black history thing, right? I want to fast forward it really quick because I need all of you to know, especially if you're new here to Renew, right? I'm going to read something. And it's going to sound really like, wow, that's really like uh, government-y because it is. Trafficking in persons, human trafficking, and modern slavery are used as umbrella terms to refer to both sex trafficking and compelled labor. At the heart of this phenomenon is the trafficker's aim to exploit and enslave their victims and the myriad coercive and deceptive practices they use to do so. That is from the Department of State. Seattle is one of the top cities in America that deals with human trafficking. In this very congregation, for a season, we ministered 
to people who are victims of, self, of sex trafficking. Okay. My eyes are wandering off because I, outside of this congregation, have um, a friend whose kids were trafficked. So the heart of Renew is not like abstract. And I want you all to know this. Whatever you're carrying, whoever you're carrying, right? The context of what they're dealing with is real, okay? And this isn't me gravitating back to pretty words, but let's talk about Near East and ancient civilization concubinage, because it's really important, right? Release valve. Heavy. All right. The fact that Hagar was a handmaiden or a slave at the turn of the 19th century BC meant something. It's very special. I probably spent uh, yeah, a week in understanding concubinage, um, but the reality of it um, is that it was ingrained into the social and economic dynamic of that entire era. I probably should also mention, like, one of the things that had occurred in my mind as I'm reading through this is like, oh, this is a very, like, Hebrew text. It's a very Jewish text, right? So Jews read this. But there, if you can imagine the silver line of the Old Testament, there were many, many, many other, like, religious texts happening in parallel that have, like, Hagar and Ishmael's life in them, Allah, the Quran. Right? And that whole dynamic did not happen in like, here are the Hebrews, and here is the Islamic nation. It wasn't like that. It was like every other person had varying degrees of spectrum of understanding of what the story was. And everyone was familiar with this story. Because Abraham was like, oh, the, the father of all of us. So there wasn't division mentally like at this time. It was kind of like, oh, I'm starting a new family. Oh, yeah. Well, Janelle has a family. Yeah, I know that. I know Janelle's family. Like, that's it's cool. Yeah, she's just down like three hills over or something. But it was normal for all of us to be together. So pulling it apart artificially right now, I just want to let you know, it's kind of hard and kind of weird. But I only say that because the context of her having Ishmael and being sent away wasn't like, I'm drawing a line and there you go. No, they were like sent like tens of miles away. <laughs> it wasn't far, right? So they were still accessible on foot. It wasn't like, you know. All right. Um, in my studies, I will share one thing that I thought was very interesting. And this probably was the most contemporary um, description that made sense, okay? Because like I would go into these Christian uh, sources and they're like, oh, come Bondage was all about satisfying the male's needs and extending the family and these very Western ideas of exerting power and influence over nations and and what's that called? Uh, dominion, uh, theology, dominion and control, and that is not wrong. That's <laughs> like that is not right. Okay. Um, Love you, Christianity, today, but that was not, that is not the thing, okay? I'm going to read something. Actually, it comes from um, the, uh, the Muslim world. It's a concept called Um al-Walad, okay? 
It's, called, it's literally mother of the son. Refers to a slave woman impregnated by her owner, thereby bearing a child. In the opinion of many classical jurists, um, Muslim jurists, Islamic jurists, such a slave woman cannot be sold. In socio-historical practice, slave girls used to yeah, that's not okay. um, In some cases, they were raised to the rank of queen after giving birth to a son, especially under the Abbasid and Ottoman Empire, which is way farther ahead. That's like thousands of years ahead. Children, male or female, born of this union, are legally free and enjoy all the rights of legitimate parentage, including inheritance and use of the father's name. Is that chattel slavery? No. Okay. The fact that she was a slave helps us understand the power dynamics in which all of this occurs. Okay. If the point of her handmaidenship were more important to us, it would read something like this. He went into Hagar, and she conceived and felt favored and influential before the people of Abraham. Does that make sense? Like, she discovers she's pregnant, and is like, oh, that's how I would react. Oh, and what happens is, the community is like, oh, hey, this changes everything. She has the male. She has just become, what's that, taken pole position. Socially, even though structurally she is the servant, right? She's taken social and political pole position, and that was very real. Because how is Abram going to actually, like, well, where does my stuff go? It's going to go to Ishmael, at least for now, right? Okay. All right, so what happens? Sarah go back, goes back to Abraham, and stuff gets messy, okay? Sarah says to him, may the wrong be done to me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, and when she conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, behold, the maid is in your pow power in your hands. Do, what, do with her what is good in your sight. So Sarah treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. That's how I'm going to react to my idea. <laughs> That's a great idea. It's amazing. It's not working out so great. Uh, and now I'm mad at you. I don't know about y'all, but I, I don't know. We couldn't be friends with these people because that's just way too complex. That's a lot of energy to spend, right? Okay. Um, you know, there's that whole thing about lies beget lies, but like really convoluted like ways of like trying to solve uh, generational stuff outside of God's will, um, careful, it gets messy, okay? Have you ever known anyone, I read this right here, have you ever known anyone going through stuff that just blames other people? Yeah. I do it all the time. <laughs> I come up with these amazing ideas, they kind of flounder, I'm like, ah, and I'm grumpy at home, my kid, like, dad's in a mood, I'm gonna go play video games. Um, and Margarita's like, you are so in a mood, go to your room. And I'm like, yes ma'am, I'll do that. Um, what was Sarah's idea? Okay, this was Sarah's idea. 
Sometimes our best laid plans have side effects that we didn't anticipate, and when it all blows up, it's not, out, it's not outside our capability to blame other people. Okay? Kind of happens. Abraham's like, pretty simple. Not my problem. Okay? Enter God. All right? Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, okay? by the spring and between Shur and wherever it was. Okay? And he says to her, he asks this really cool question. Right? And like, questions from the angel of the Lord, you know, like, hey, how are you doing? <laughs> where have you come from? And where are you going? Okay. In anguish, crying, things are happening. Where have you come from? And where are you going? What I love about this interaction is that God, like, distills it down to two things. And the latter one, Hagar's like, didn't even address. She says what happened, she doesn't. I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. That's all you get. <laughs> That's what's happening. But he asked her, where are you going? And when we don't have that answer... God comes through. Okay. Okay. I literally wrote, (laughs) where are you coming from and where are you going? Hagar, I don't know, fool. That's there. That's in the notes. Okay. So God lays down two things. The angel of the Lord says, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Oh, oh, okay, okay. This kind of leans into the where are you going question, right? The proposition is go back and to submit yourself within the context from where you came that was so difficult, okay? Some of us pray and are like, Lord, change my circumstances. I do. I pray for a new job when it wasn't going great. Or when I didn't have one for 11 months, there's that. Okay. But he addresses her first by telling her to go back into the context of being a handmaiden. Okay? Dead-end job. Right? But then he says, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they are too many to count. Okay, now again, I'm abstracting these two separately. But when God speaks to us, they are one thing. Go back to where you're going, and I'm going to multiply, like, your whole generation. It's one thing. So it's going to happen within the context that you're already in, but you don't see that yet. There's a blessing around the corner that you don't see but it's going to happen within the context that you're trying to leave. Right? Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son. You shall call him Ishmael. God who hears. Okay? There's some other things. Donkey man fighting everyone. Okay. In verse 13, then... She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You, okay, now, uh, okay, maybe Alice and I are the only ones who fuss over, like, translations. Um, 
I'm an NASB fan, okay, 1995, great hip-hop era. Um, but NASB, because it's a literal translation, right? And it makes you have to work to understand it. It's not like, oh, yeah, we're just going to give you the points. No, you actually have to go into it and kind of be like, well, what does that mean? And it helps you do work. That's just me, right? But um, here it says, you are a God who sees have I even remained alive here after seeing him? Okay, and it actually says something even weirder, right? Oh gosh, I don't have it here. But the actual doesn't even make sense in English, right? But the point is, okay, back then, if you were in the presence of God, you died. <laughs> so, like, so when, when, you know, like, if the Lord showed up, you always see, like, moments in the New Testament, moments in the Old Testament, oh, I should totally be laid to waste because the glory of God is too much. Right? And here she is in the middle. I'm still here, and he's seen me. Like, I should not exist anymore. I should be evaporated. Okay? All right. You are a God who sees. Okay? For she said, Have I even remained alive here after seeing him? Therefore, the wells, and they call the well that what it is. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and things are great. He saw me in my suffering. He gave me the blessing. When, I'm going to go back to the context of us. We're going to work it out. That's the regular sermon. That's the normal Sunday sermon. But we're going to do the renewed sermon. You guys ready? All right. Bring your helmets. Gentlemen's on. Here we go. We're going to roll the tape back to verse 4. Okay? What if it read this? When she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was adored in her sight. That's not what it says. When she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. Despised. I'm going to read this because it took me a moment to write. Of all the sentiments humanity can feel, Despite is uniquely powerful and destructive. A negative affection, despite, is to see no or less value in the object. That's dark. But here's the thing. Okay. If I despise something, it has no value to me. Okay? And to level despite against another human is to judge them at the deepest level but it reaches into the dark pitch of judgment. Okay? It's like hate, but it's worse because it carries the tinge of contempt. And what is contempt? I do not care about you. That's how bad despite, like, to despise someone is. Okay? And it's weird because it's like, oh yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm despising her sight. And then we roll over it. Because it's about her suffering, isn't it? The word of God reaches deep into the marrow. Human splitting, this division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intention of the heart. So let's talk about pride. See, despite or to despise someone is the thing that's outside. It's the thing that we experience. But the thing that's inside, the fuel behind it, is even more dark. And it's pride. Right. So let's talk about pride. We've talked about 
slavery and concubinage. Might as well talk about pride. Okay. It's the <laughs> so ironic. It's the large word version. Um, out of my glass. Too. There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people except Christians. Wait. Okay. I'll say any people ever imagine that they are guilty of themselves. There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which, no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. The vice I'm talking about is pride or self-conceit, the opposite of which is humility. Okay? This is C.S. Lewis, by the way, Mere Christianity. Chapter 8, The Great Sin. We have now come to the center. According to Christian teaching, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all of that are mere flea bites in comparison. It is through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Fast forward. Now, what you want to get really clear is that pride is essentially competitive. While the other vices are competitive only by accident, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next person. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They're actually proud of being richer, cleverer, that's really weird, or better-looking than others. When I read through this, um, it's kind of a bunch of things that kind of came together. When, uh, when Allison called, hey, what's the big topics? I was like, oh my gosh. I happened to that morning, just probably half hour before I got her note or read her note, I found um, a foundational letter in, I'll call it the Cabellion's Lives. Okay? Where it was a moment where God saw me in my suffering. Okay? But here's the thing. God also saw me in my contempt. And my despising my father. Margarita has shared. Oh, that was weird. Manga has shared. Uh, Tagalog nickname. For them, um, has shared that like part of our testimony in our life is um, like. I don't know. Some of you may resonate with this. Um. Four boys, fantastically talented, globally renowned surgeon of a father. All four boys are going to be doctors. They got the first one. They did not get me. The day after I took the MCAT, <laughs> I called home and told my parents I wasn't going into medicine, despite having finished all of the qualifications. Um, and from that point forward, it was a two-and-a-half-year silence between me and my dad. And um, I'm just going to ask for two minutes. And the course of leaving college and deciding, oh, man, how am I going to start life, uh, decided to join the Marine Corps. I went to officer candidate school. And um, I have so much naivety around that decision. I thought I was joining the Navy. 
it is the Navy, technically, <laughs> but Officer Candidate School is not something I would ever wish upon another human being, <laughs> ever. Not Marine Corps, OCS. Uh, if you're going to go to Quantico, join the FBI. So much more fun. Um, in the third week, uh, we had uh, 600 entrants into the class, all Division I sports folks, Harvard to local community colleges, former enlisted. I had a scout sniper, reconnaissance guy in my, on my team, uh, another gunnery sergeant who was my rack mate. A lot of really, really high-performing people. At that time, I probably lost 25 pounds in three weeks, um, running you know, sub 23 miles, 100 pull-ups, like just, it's, it was brutal. People were dropping out in the middle of the night. You'd wake up and then like half the people are gone because you could just leave. They didn't want you there. And I was going to quit on week three where they give you a bell ring out. They give you an other than honorable uh, discharge. Nothing's held against you legally. And you can just leave because they don't want you there. And um, that night I decided, I opened all my mail, and I had my mail sitting there, and I was like, I'm just, I'm going to go through my mail. Next tomorrow morning when they call the ring out, I'm going to walk across the deck and I'm going to ring out. And I'm going through my mail. I see one from 14511, Friendly Wood Road, Burtonsville, Maryland. And I open it up, and this is what it reads. 7 October, 1999. Dear Paul, It is so nice to get a postcard from you. Mom and I wonder how you are doing. We are looking forward to December when you will be graduating. I'm very proud of what you are doing. Not many men have the courage, endurance, stamina, and commitment that you show. I know that you have many talents, especially the talent of leading people to do good. I can only imagine how your training is proceeding. We are looking forward to hearing your stories, love dad. I was a mess. That was about 11 p.m. at night. We had to wake up at 4.30. But after reading that, I was on fire. Because the two and a half years of contempt that I felt toward my father was gone. God. Climbed ropes faster, endured negative 18 degrees, of training, Virginia winter, broke two bones, and passed. All because God wanted to heal contempt in my heart. And all the decisions over the two and a half years, um, all the despite that had mounted, my soul was gone. And I share this because um, this is a great story, right? <laughs> well, it wasn't over. I mean, this is like one letter. I know that um, a lot of us have parent issues, or maybe we are the parent and we have kid issues. Right? Um, I think the person in our family who gets the medal for turning fathers to their sons and their sons to their fathers, a la, I think it's the end of Micah, Last verse in Micah is Ruby Cabellion, because my father and I, some of you know, we had a huge fight, huge fight in December, or fourth quarter, May? Is it May? Gosh, May. And Ruby, <laughs> if you ever meet my daughter, you know what's on her mind, because she'll tell you. And she texted my dad and said, Dad, can you apologize to my 
my daddy because his heart is hurting. We didn't know she did that. And the following day, my father, and we had surrendered his soul to God's move. Like, so when Pharaoh softened the heart of Pharaoh, wait, God softened the heart of Pharaoh? We know what that's like because we all looked at each other and were like, no stinking way. And he called and he apologized for this thing in great detail. And it was beautiful. So, um, anyway, all this to share. This is titled, God Sees, the God who sees through my suffering. <laughs> but you know what? God sees through our contempt too. And all of the mess of who we are. And my prayer is that as we proceed in communion, as we grow and know and get to know the Lord and get to know each other, um, and yeah, as a church, um, as you wade through these pews and through this body of people, um, that you know that the God who sees us sees you and you online. Amen? Amen. All right. Yeah. Father, you are Elroy. Your sight is omniscient. You see things before they happen, but Lord, more than that, you see the depth of who we are so much farther than we even know. And our response is, thank you. Thank you that you redeem us, even though we are your enemy, even though parts of us are just railing against you. Uh, just thank you, God, um, that you sent your son so that the divide between us and you could be healed and the divide between um, each other, moms, dads, family members, friends, coworkers, bosses, can be healed. We believe in that, Lord. We receive that. Thank you for your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.